Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. There are seasons in life when, uh, when you reach the end. It could be the end of a relationship, it could be the end of a career, it could be the end of a project, a plan, and many times the end is not only appropriate, but the, but the end is necessary. Some things have to end. But what about those times when you know in your heart of hearts it's not supposed to be the end? You know in your heart of hearts that things are supposed to continue, but the only recourse you seem to have is to quit, is to give up. It wasn't supposed to be the end. You were hoping for more time. You were hoping for better results. You were hoping for greater accomplishments. But every option to keep going has been exhausted. You've tried everything. And in your heart, you don't want to give up. You don't want to stop. You don't want it to end. There's more fight in you. There's more strength in you. There's more time. There's more willingness. But there's no visible way forward. You just don't know what the next step is going to be. At least not as it is. For things to continue, significant things need to change. There's got to be significant change. It's necessary. You don't know what those changes are. You don't know what it is. And you don't know where it will lead you. So what do you do? Today we're starting a new series titled Back to Life, and we want to speak to those areas in your life that might be dead or dormant, those areas in your life that you might be in a fog, and we believe that God wants to bring you out of the fog, dreams that might have ended prematurely, revelations and visions that you might have had in your life, and you've, wanting, you've been wanting to realize them, but you're waiting for the right time. Something has stopped the progress. Something has kept you from progressing. We believe God wants to bring those things back to life. Now, about a year ago, I decided to try out CrossFit. And uh, we were going to a gym, a local gym, and um, things were going well, but it, it started to hurt me because they required every, every workout, you had to do 30 minutes of treadmill. And that was so bad on my knees. And so I started feeling knee pain. And I ended up having to stop for a season. Went to the doctor and, you know, it's a whole thing. But I stopped for about three months, didn't do any workout. And then Alini started shopping for uh, new gyms around town. And we found out, we found this, this gym in town, CrossFit gym. And she said, honey, I think you're going to like it. I think you should come around and, and see it. And now I've always known CrossFit people to be intense. And we have a friend who does CrossFit, and she's always encouraging us to go. So I figured, let, let's try this thing out. Now, I have a model when it comes to working out. It's a model that keeps me going and, and gets me to the gym, and this is the model. Uh, you never regret a good workout. And basically, it's a way to say that even if it's hard, even if you have those days that you don't want to go, 
And by the end of it, you're going to feel good. You're going to like it. You're going to be glad that you, that you did it, that you went. And what I didn't know is that my model was about to get tested that day. I don't know if you've ever, uh, if you've been familiar with uh, CrossFit, but they use a lot of different things. And, you know, uh, um, I don't know if you've ever felt like you died at the gym or that you were about to die at the gym. Uh, that's the day that I was about to experience, unbeknownst to me. Um, but we got there. It had been three months, about three months since I've, I've worked out. And the wad was on the board. If you're not familiar with the lingo, workout of the day. It's simple. The wad was on the board. And typically, you know, in CrossFit, you have so many things that you get involved in. I walk in and I see there are barbells. There are dumbbells. Those, those are the least smart bells of all the bells the dumbbells. And then you have kettlebells, and you have ropes hanging from the ceiling. You have pull-up bars. You have uh, ski machines and attack bikes, regular bikes. Uh, you have the, the thing that you push, the sled that you push with weights on. You got pegs on the wall. You have jump ropes. You have tra uh, 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 tractor tires that you flip around. And I walked in, and I'm like, I'm super overwhelmed right now. What are we going to do today? Because you got medicine balls. You, got, you have sandbags. And then you have concrete uh, balls all there. And I thought, this is going to be intense. So I walk in. I look on the board. And to my surprise and delight, momentary delight, I must say, there was one item on the board. We were to do a 4,000-meter row that day. And I thought, out of all this, that's what I'm doing? Great. Fantastic. It's going to be, it's a great day to start. Amazing. One item. One thing. I just have to do one thing. So we started rowing. <laughs> and by minute one, I'm like, I'm not moving. Those are not the meters that I thought I would do in a minute. And then by minute three, I'm like, oh, this is gonna, this is gonna, this is gonna take a while. And then they said, stop. I was like, I'm not done yet. Am I supposed to be done? They said, no, this doesn't count. It's just a warm-up. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm sweating already. My heart is already pumping. So we finally started. And I have to confess, I did not pace myself. I was not familiar with the rower. I don't know if you've ever rowed in the rower machine, but you sit on this seat that slides and you contract your body and you stretch your body. And when you stretch your body, you pull the rower, right? You've seen the motion. And, and so I started going. I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this happen. And especially because my wife was rowing with me. And I wasn't going to let her beat me. We're competitive like that. So I'm going. When I hit 500 meters... My heart was pumping. I was so tired. I'm like, I can't believe it's, took, it's taken this long for me to hit 500 meters. But I think in fractions when I work out. So I got to 500 meters, and I was like, okay, it's one-eighth. It's one-eighth. Basically, I just have to do eight sets of this. Eight? All right. Let's keep going. I tried to keep the pace. I couldn't keep the pace. When I got to 1,000 meters, things were completely different. I'm gasping for air by now. Because, you know, I, uh, I'm not at the shape that I'd love to be. And in the rower, because I'm so uh, tall, 
when you come down, your, your legs press against your belly and push your lungs. So I'm not, I'm not like a guy that's super uh, 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 fit because I'm three months without working out and I'm pulling. And typically what you do is you go with the rhythm, right? I'm not doing that. I'm doing... I am dying. And I'm thinking, I'm going to have to do four more times of this? I need to quit. What am I doing with my life? Why am I here? But I kept going because my wife was in front of me, rowing. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know how many meters she has, but I have to finish before her. By the, I got to tell you guys, by the time I got to 2,000 meters, I was yelling at myself in my head. I was... I was justifying why I should not be there. What are you doing with your life? Why are you here? You could be writing sermons for the people right now. You could be, you could be, you could be ending homelessness in Stanford. You know how like the stakes get super high on what you could be doing? Like how much better things you could be doing? You could be ending poverty in Africa right now. You could be curing cancer somewhere else. It just kept getting. Why are you here? But I couldn't stop. My uh, competitive pride against my wife was too big. And, and I kept going. All I could think about is quit, quit, end it now, end it now. What are you thinking? You can't finish this. 4,000 meters is too far. You're not going to make it. Finally, I got to 4,000. And I don't remember much. I don't remember who finished first. I did. <laughs> so she claims. But I remember that I, I needed to get outside for some fresh air. And as I got to the outdoors, I felt a deep desire to liberate myself from the breakfast that I had had that morning. For some reason, I just wanted to regurgitate. And the Lord provided for me a gutter. And, the, and in the gutter, I placed my offering. <laughs> I, uh, I prayed to Je Jehovah Ralph that morning. <laughs> and yes, I lost my breakfast. And it did not feel good. It was, a, it was an interesting experience. What happened is that my ability to endure did not match what was required of me. I was not fit for the task. Even though I finished, it wasn't good. Now, I've had harder workouts since then because, you know, I've gotten in better shape. But for where I was, my capacity to endure was not matched to the activity. And there was a moment in, like I said, in that it was so hard, all I could think about was, you got to quit. You're so out of shape. You're not meant for this. Just, you know, get up and go. I never really rode before. Now, I've realized that there are similar experiences that you, that you go through in life emotionally in your soul that matches some of those physical experiences you might have had. Maybe you have a similar experience working out like I had. But we have experiences in life that are similar. You don't know how things are going to progress. You don't have clarity on your next move. Moments in my life when I wasn't sure 
if I was able to endure the trial, if I was able to get to the other side of that difficulty. I don't know if you've been there. Have you been there? When things get so tough, they take every bit of hope out of you. Things get so tough, they get every drip of faith out of you. And, and that situation drives you right to your limit. A limit you didn't even know you had. I want to speak to the seasons of your life when you thought you didn't have an option. I want to talk to those areas in your life, those moments in your life, when you thought quitting was the only way forward. This is what I've learned in those experiences. This is what I've learned from the scriptures. And I believe it's going to bless you this morning. There's a big difference between quitting and surrendering. There's a big difference between quitting and surrendering. I'm not sure if you've considered this. But for all those things that you've believed in and didn't see come to pass, for all those promises that you heard in your heart, that you were inspired to believe in, but you had to turn your back on, for the part of you that is untouched, untapped, because you're waiting for the right time, and the more you wait, the less you believe it's going to happen. If you're honest, there's always that voice saying, your only option is to quit. You can't do any other thing other than quit. And some of you might be ready to quit. And maybe you have. When it seems like the only option is to quit, and there's no visible way forward. You feel like there's no point into, to holding on to something that seems impossible. I want to remind you that we serve a God that is he's an expert in, in impossibilities. He's an expert in the impossible. He can do what man cannot do. So instead of turning your back on your destiny because things seem unsurmountable and the obstacles seem too big, how about you surrender? How about you choose the path of surrender? Yes, don't quit. Do surrender. Now, what's the difference? Like I said, sometimes quitting is necessary. We quit bad habits. We quit unhealthy things. We quit toxic relationships. We quit bad professors who give bad advice. We quit those things that lead us to the wrong path. But quitting means to turn your back on it. It means to cease and desist. It means to let go and walk away. That's what quitting means. Now surrendering, on the other hand, means I don't see a way forward. I can't move forward on my own. I don't have the next step figured out. But I know God has spoken and I'm holding on. I'm holding on to faith. I'm holding on to His Word. I'm surrendering control. I'm surrendering even the outcome. I'm surrendering the process. What I have pictured and what is in front of me right now are two different things. I can't reconcile it right now, but I am holding on and I'm not letting go because I know that I serve a God who fulfills promises. Like the scripture says in 2 Corinthians, for all the promises of God find their yes in Him, and that is, why, that, that is why it is through Him 
that we utter our amen to God for His glory. All the promises of God find their yes in Him. Not on the circumstance, not on the possibility or lack thereof. They find their yes in God. So I want to give you some counsel from the scriptures today on what to do when you are faced with a roadblock or an obstacle or an enemy that comes into the path of your life to stop you and take you off course. And if you're going through something like that today, I believe this message will bless you. If you are not going through something like that today, just you wait, you will. You will. So this will bless you as well. There's a story in the Bible, a really sad story that involves David, King David. And David at this point in his life, he was the king of Israel. His kingdom was established. He was, uh, he was already, he had been king and, and his children were already grown. And David was a mighty man, a godly man. But David's family was dysfunctional. For starters, David had several wives. And I don't care what culture you're from or what part of the world you are from. If you have several wives, your family will be dysfunctional. And here is an empirical proof that you can gather yourself uh, when you leave here today. Find a woman and, and ask her what she would prefer to be. The only one or the favorite one? Would she rather be the only wife or the favorite wife? And you, 99% of the time, you will have the answer, the only wife. Because the other one is just, the other option is just ridiculous. So here's the beginning of a really sad story in David's life. David's firstborn son, his name was Amnon, and he fell in love with his half-sister, Tamar who was the daughter of a different mother, another wife of David. And he was so overcome with lust and desire that he schemed the situation. He pretended to be sick. And because he, was pretended, to be, he pretended to be sick, he requested that she would come and take care of him as his sister. And so he was able to get himself in a room alone with her, which was not their custom since she hadn't been married yet. And so he told her he wanted her. He had desire for her. And she'd try to talk him out of it, speak some sense to him, into him. And she said, this, this would ruin us. This would ruin me. But even though it is our, not our custom, even though this is frowned upon in our culture, in our society, if you ask our dad, I bet he would allow you to marry me. He would allow you to have me as your wife. But Amnon, he ignored her. He didn't want that. And he overpowered her. And he violated her. And after committing this horrible act of violating his own sister, he rejected her. It was common in that culture that if you, if you forced yourself upon a woman you liked, you were supposed to redeem her by taking care of her, and the community would make sure that you did a good job at that. But he did the opposite. He doubled down on his horrid behavior, and he rejected her. Now, Tamar had a brother by the same mother. His name was Absalom. And Absalom loved her, and he was very protective 
of Tamar. And when he heard of what happened, he was furious. He was enraged. He took her to his house. He embraced her. He took care of her. And he excommunicated his brother Amnon. Now David heard the story too. He heard what had happened. The abuse that his son, his firstborn son, the heir to the king, to the kingdom, committed against his sister. And he also was furious. He also found it to be despicable, but he did not punish his son. And so two years went by. And Absalom devised a plan to kill his brother. He was going to avenge his sister. And so he did. Two years later, he killed his brother. He avenged his sister by taking his life. Absalom's mother, mother David's wife, she was the princess of Geshur. So Absalom fled to Geshur uh, for three years. And he stayed with his grandfather, who was a king. He was banished from Jerusalem. David didn't want him around. He was banished from his father's home. Now David had a friend after the three years uh, passed who noticed that being a friend and a close counselor to David, his name was Joab, he noticed that David longed for his, for his son Absalom. But David hadn't figured out yet. And so Joab created a situation where David came to realize that he actually wanted his son to come home. So he ordered his son to come home. And after three years, Absalom came back home. It had been five years since his sister had been violated. It had been three years since he took his brother's life. But Absalom was not satisfied. For him, it was not enough. He needed the kingdom. He needed to overthrow his dad. He didn't respect his dad, and he wanted to come after him. So he began to work behind the scenes. And for the next four years, he sowed seeds of discord among the people, telling the people that if he were king, things would be better. If he were king, things would work better for the people. And so he was able to convince a good amount of leaders and people to follow him. And after the four years, Absalom felt that the time was ripe to make a move, to come after his dad and to take the kingdom from his dad and forever not have his dad be king. And so he does. He makes a move. He declared himself king. And now the kingdom is divided. This kingdom is divided. The kingdom that God had promised David is divided because of a family dysfunction. A big one, but it was a family affair. And David, what is he supposed to do? Is he supposed to risk his leadership and his team and his people and fight against his own son? He doesn't do that. David walks away. Risking, instead of risking people's lives, he bows out. He leaves the palace. He packs everything into tents. And he moves with his entire team, his family, his officials, and thousands of people who decide, I'm with David. They leave their, their homes. They leave their towns. It's a terrible situation. A kingdom divided. But here's David. God had promised him his throne. And he had gotten the throne. 
God had promised him that his throne would endure forever, that his lineage would be established. This was not the picture that he had. That his son would be the successor of his kingdom by the way of killing him. Nevertheless, David walks away. I don't know if you've ever had people you love, people you trust, turn on you. I don't know if you've ever had family members, friends, people that you love just misunderstand you, talk bad, badly about you, and simply turn their backs on you. It's painful. It's painful when that happens. And here is David walking away from his city and his kingdom, not knowing what the future holds, not knowing what's going to happen with people who trust him and look to him for answers and the next move. What would you do in that situation? How would you face this kind of situation? I know that in a room like this, there's a lot of dysfunction that you've been exposed to. I'm sure there are stories in your family, friends, your co-workers that you've heard and you've experienced. That maybe are similar, maybe less to a lesser degree or maybe even a greater degree. Here's what we learned from David's story is that he didn't quit, but he did surrender. And here's some lessons from, from this story about surrendering. The first thing that we need to learn is that we ought to trust God's sovereignty when we are faced with a situation where we got to surrender. We have to trust that God is sovereign. Sometimes the best thing to do is to surrender to the situation. Trust in God's sovereignty. See, decide that you're going to get through that valley. You just make the decision, all right? This is what has happened. This is my lot. My son is coming after me. I am leaving the kingdom. I'm homeless. I'm no longer king, and I'm walking away. That was David's decision. For you, it might be something else. But sometimes you have to decide that you're going to walk through that valley. Because resisting would be worse. David surrendered to the situation. He didn't lose his faith. Now something interesting happened. Because as he walked away. You know he walked away trusting God. And here's why, here's why he, he was able to trust God. Because David had this revelation. He knew that his kingdom existed because of God's word. In other words... It was the kingdom, it was, it was in the kingdom, uh, it was not the kingdom that made God's word true. It was not the thing that he had that made God's word true. It was God's word that made that thing true. Does that make sense? Sometimes we hold on to something because that's the only evidence we have that God's will is for us. And then when that goes away, we lose our minds because we think, I, I have no evidence. No, no, you got to flip it. God's word is the thing. He wants to be the main thing. He wants to be the point of reference. So on his way out, where he was going to encamp, David went through a town called Bahurim. And David was walking. As he was walking, a man by the name of Shimei began to yell at David, curse at David. And he and his family started throwing rocks at David, even though he had his officials there. And he, he were, they were yelling at him saying, get out. 
Get out of here, you man of blood. Get out of here. God is avenging you today. He's avenging the house of, of Saul today. Get out of here. On and on, they kept yelling. So David's officials got bothered. And they said this. We pick up on the scripture, chapter 16 of 2 Samuel, verse 9. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, he was one of the officials, Why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and take off his head. I guess that's how they solved situations back then. You just, let's just decapitate the man. All right. Verse 10, but the king said, what have I to do with you? Your sons of, you sons of Zariah. If he, if he is cursing because the, if he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now uh, this, may, uh, this Benjamite? Leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for this cursing today. What an incredible heart. I'm going to go through this valley. I'm going to suffer what it brings to me because maybe the Lord will look at my heart and see as I'm suffering that I'm holding on to this, to Him, unto Him. Sometimes in life, we're going to suffer loss. We will be criticized. We're going to have people demean us. We're going to have people diminish us. But can you trust that God is in control through that valley? Can you trust that God is for you, that he's with you, that even though people might be cursing at you, that he is developing you and he is guiding you and he is taking you to the promised place that he has for you. And even if you suffer, suffer unto the Lord like David did. God, they're cursing at me, but I surrender this to you. God, they're, they're coming after me. But if you told them to, if this is your will, God, I will endure it for your glory. When you surrender to God, as Alini put it well this morning, when you surrender to God, you are never a victim. The enemy wants to make you a victim. When you surrender to God, you are never a victim because you know that God can get you through that circumstance. Here's another important thing to do as you surrender. Number two, very important. You ought to refresh yourself. Situations have a way of taking from us. And it's important for us to be, uh, to be sensitive and refresh ourselves. 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14 says this, And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan. They got to the place where they were going. And there he refreshed himself. Very important. Sometimes you will get weary. Sometimes the long journey will drain you. It will drain you of your strength and it will drain you of your fortitude. The proper response after a long journey, whether it be an actual journey or an emotional journey, a season, it's not to say, all right, let's get to work. Now that we got here, let's turn the page and let's go. No, the proper response is to refresh yourself, replenish yourself. Refreshing yourself doesn't mean to do nothing. 
Refreshing yourself means to prioritize what restores your energy and what restores your vitality. It's so important to pay attention to that. And this is something that I learned in the last two years out of necessity. I learned to gauge and pay attention to my emotional energy. It's really important for us to do that. When you're physically tired, you know what to do about that, right? You take a nap. You have a good night of sleep. You turn off your phone. If you don't have a baby, you get to sleep your whole night. You know what to do when you're physically tired. When you are mentally tired, you also know what to do for the most part. You disengage. You go somewhere where you don't have to think about anything. You grab your little seltzer with a little spritz of lime. Maybe a little something extra. Watch it. And you have good conversations with people. You get your mind into something better. But what do you do when you're emotionally tired? A lot of us don't know how to gauge. Few of us have trained ourselves to pay attention to our emotional energy. And too many of us go through life numb, not fully experiencing our emotions because we're depleted. We're without joy, without vitality. You know that spirit that you have, that spirit that you bring to your family, that you bring to your friends in your situation, and you know that you normally, you know, there's a pep in your step and you're, you're, you're charged and, and you're good, but you went through a season that took that out of you and you're depleted. It's time to refresh yourself if that's, if that's you. Your emotional intelligence is what gives you your personality. And it gives your personality texture and color. If your mind and your thought process give you character and give you information that sustains your character, your emotional intelligence informs your personality so that you can be the person that God designed you to be. And let me encourage you today. Don't let the fight and the struggle toward God's vision for your life turn you into somebody that you're not. Go into life angry, depleted, just mad at everybody, cynical. Right? Not, no energy, no, no life coming out of you. That's no way to live. And here's a way for you to find out. If you find yourself being short-tempered, just a short fuse, if you can't take a joke, if you haven't laughed in a while, or you haven't felt deep love, deep affection or care for the ones you love, it's time for you to refresh yourself. It's time for you to find ways for you to refresh yourself. For me, I had to slow down. I had to spend more time with my kids. I had to reprioritize certain things and make time for friends, make time for family, and actually pause. We do our best to have our Sabbaths as a family now. Once a week, there's a day that we don't do anything but be with each other and enjoying each other's company. See, when you try to work with, in, in a pace where you're just nonstop going, and all you can see is the next thing. And, and what happens is like you, your mind and your eyes only can see what's right in front of you immediately. And that gives you anxiety, especially if that list is long, especially if you have a lot to go through. And pausing, what pausing does is that it, it, it zooms out your perspective. 
It, it allows you to see more than what's there right now. In fact, I want to do an experiment right now. If you have your phones, can you grab your phones? My, my phone is right there. Would you mind reaching it for me, uh, Evan? Thank you. I want you to get your phone, if you don't mind, right now. We're going to do all this together. All right? And I want you to pull out a camera and get ready for a selfie. Oh, you're going to look so good. You're going to look so good. Some of you don't, don't like taking selfies. Okay? I want you to come on. Come on. Go ahead. Take a selfie. Take a selfie. Take a selfie. All right, take a selfie. Now, I want you to go to that picture and find something in your face you don't like. <laughs> and zoom into it. All right? Uh, I know, I know. Dan just said, I love it all. I have this little red dot right here that I, you know, I'm just going to zoom into that. Can you see it? Are you looking at it on your screen? Some of you, that's all you see. And some of you, that's how you approach life. You, all you can see is the trouble. All you can see is the problem. All you can see is the struggle. All you can see are the things that you have to do that are negative. All you can see is the thing that you don't like in your life. Now I want you to start zooming out on that selfie. Go ahead, do it. Zoom me out slowly. And look how beautiful you are. Look how gorgeous you are. Look at that. Huh? Aren't you, aren't you like a masterpiece? Come on. Clap for yourselves. Go ahead. You're amazing. But what happens? When you zoom out and you look at the full picture, even the things that we might have thought were a problem, they actually work together. They work together. Because you look beautiful and handsome. So take time to refresh yourself. Take time to allow your mind to zoom out of that situation and that problem and actually have a full perspective for life and God will refresh you. Absalom did some terrible things. He was not a good son. He was not a good king. He came after his father, David. And in the battle... He was riding his donkey really quickly through the, the, the forest and through the bushes. And he was going somewhere. And, and scripture says that he went through a tree, a cedar tree, I believe. And his head got caught up between the branches. And somehow the donkey kept going. And he was hanging from the neck down. And he, he was trapped. And he couldn't free himself. And in that agony, that place of agony, David's officials got a hold of him. And Joab, David's friend, came with his battalion. And they ended his life right there. And the war ended. And people were celebrating because David's officials didn't die. And now the nation is united again. But David, David was mourning. While, while the nation is celebrating, David is mourning because he just lost his son. His second son he lost. And here is the final thing I want to share with you. Things are not always going to flow as we planned. So we ought to hold on to the vision, but surrender the method. You hold on to the vision that God gave you, and you surrender the method. Listen, sometimes 
things happen that are out of your control. David didn't plan to lose his son, both of them actually. That wasn't part of his dream. He didn't want his sons dead, but that was out of his control. Why? Because people use their free will for selfish gain all the time. People use their free will for selfish ambition all the time. Sometimes for revenge, sometimes for substance abuse, sometimes to talk behind your back, sometimes to abuse people, sometimes to try to, like Absalom, take something that's not yours by force. And just like David, you're going to face some surprises along the way on your journey. Surprises that will make you wonder if you've missed your calling. It'll make you wonder if you've missed the mark. But I'm here to tell you today that God is faithful and His promises will not fail you. Sometimes you, maybe you might be there right now. You've had surprises in your life. God promised you a happy family, but you didn't know your marriage was going to end. God promised you in your heart peace at home, but you didn't expect a family member to get caught up on drugs. Maybe God gave you a vision for a business, an idea, but you didn't expect your partner to leave in bad terms. And now what? You might wonder, if there is a God, then why do bad things happen to good people? That's the big question, right? Why do bad things happen to good people if there's a God? The answer is very simple, actually. Bad things happen to good people. Are you ready? Because they're good. Bad things happen to good people because when you are striving to be good, what does it mean to be a good person? When you're striving to be good, you're running toward people who are suffering and you're going to try to help them. And guess what? If you walk near the fire, sometimes you get burned. Good people are the people that run into a burning building when others are running out. And so bad things are bound to happen because good people believe the best in others. Good people live by God's commandments to love one another. Good people try to lay down their lives for their friend. And good people are vulnerable because of that. They're vulnerable to betrayal. They're vulnerable to pain. And you might have gone through situations like that who just like David decided to forgive his older son for the atrocity he made and was willing to forgive his younger son too for trying to take his kingdom from him. But sometimes you can't keep people's consequences from catching up to them. In the midst of the pain, if in the midst of the pain and the sorrow, you cling to God's promise, you will learn to surrender the method. You will learn to know that He's in control. And you will see that God can turn every situation around. Scripture says that as we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. So remember, don't quit. Do surrender. Trust God's sovereignty. Refresh yourselves. And hold on to the vision but surrender the method. Do you receive it this morning? Amen.
why don't you stand so we can pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.